Welcome to With Heart and Wonder. This is a place for us to explore heart-centered living and to celebrate what it means to live with wonder, with awe and appreciation for the possibilities that are within us and around us. I'm Megan Johnston, and I am truly so honored and excited that you are here. Let's dive in and journey together. Welcome back. You are listening to With Heart and Wonder, episode 72. And I, as always, am so delighted to have you here. And today's episode feels really special to me because I get to welcome my sister, Becca Johnston, onto the podcast. As I'm making this introduction right now, I'm getting a little bit emotional and I think it's just because Becca is so indescribably important to me and she is one of the most passionate, inspiring, loving, supportive people in my life and it just means the world to me to have her on the podcast to get to share her like true, true radiance with all of you. And so what we decided to do actually is we went to a talk together last week. We saw Elizabeth Gilbert give a talk in Ottawa. If you don't know who she is, we'll tell you all about it in just a moment. And we thought, let's not debrief this together yet, but let's debrief it and record it and have it on the podcast. So this is a really rich conversation about our takeaways from this talk around themes of creativity, priorities, boundaries, as well as our reactions when something happened at this talk where Elizabeth Gilbert modeled to us what it is like to keep and enforce your boundaries in ways that are loving and kind. So without further ado, let's dive right on in. Today feels really exciting because we are joined on the podcast with my one and only sister, Becca. And we've talked about, Becca and I have talked about having her come on the podcast many times before. And then we were at a talk this week with Elizabeth Gilbert and we were like, you know what? Let's not talk too much about it now, but let's debrief on the podcast so that we can share with all of you some of our takeaways because it was definitely a really, really magical, powerful space to be in. So welcome, Becca. I'm so excited we're doing this today. I am too. For a little background, it was actually my birthday present and Christmas present from Megan to go to this talk. And what a gift it was. It was that weird feeling of like knowing you're in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I just really was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. Like, we are supposed to be in, in this space, in this moment. And I think I had, had this, like, not anxiety, but this, like, worry almost at the beginning of, like, am I going to get everything? Am I going to, like, suck the marrow out of this experience? Um, I think we, I think we did. I think we did. Well, do you know what? I had my own worry, which was Elizabeth Gilbert. I've heard her often say this especially on podcasts, 
but she has often said, don't meet your heroes. I often think of, you know, that question that people sometimes ask you, like, if you could have dinner or lunch or whatever with anyone Mm -hmm. in the world, like, she'd be my person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and so I was a little bit nervous, but let's just take a moment, though, because for anyone who doesn't know who we're talking about, because there are, I'm always astounded and I'm sure you are too, as a deep Elizabeth Gilbert lover, or LG, Mm -hmm. as we sometimes Mm -hmm. refer to her in our texts. But she is a very accomplished writer. She wrote Eat, Pray, Love, and Big Magic, and City of Girls, and many other books. And the thing, when I've been trying to like nail down like what it is that I find so compelling about her, I really think it is that she just is a messy, imperfect human Mm -hmm. who talks about being a messy, imperfect human Mm -hmm. to other messy, imperfect humans with a whole lot of intimacy and care and love. And there's something about that that just like gets me right in my heart. And she can always just bring me right back into my heart and into my body. I think she's also like an unapologetic searcher. Mm-hmm. Like I think she is like if people aren't familiar with Eat Pray Love, the the concept is, you know, she's getting a divorce from her husband and she basically gets a publisher to be like, all right. Uh, and she sets up three different places she wants to go to um for different purposes. And it's about her travels and discovery. And she also quite famously, um, after finding out that her longtime best friend had cancer and only had six months to live, uh, realized she was in love with her, uh, divorced her husband and, you know, stayed by her side for the 18 months until she passed away. And I think I think between Elizabeth Gilbert and Glennon Doyle, I think they might be responsible for possibly the most divorces of, um, you know, women in the last 10 years, 15. I've heard them joke about that. I, be- yeah, and I it- believe it. I, it's, she is so, like, she's so dedicated to not just living her truth, but I, I think, like, a, a spiritual truth that I think, like, leads her to be that messy person, to share those emotions and I, I just find her to be such a trustworthy spiritual guide. And mm-hmm. I don't think she's going out there trying to be a spiritual guide. But I think she recognizes that, like, she has tapped into a certain freedom. Maybe not even tapped in, has cultivated and protected and searched for a certain, like, freedom to follow her emotions, to follow her heart, to do what matters, to connect with a mysticism. Um, what a babe. Just what a babe. <laughs> what, what a summary. Okay, so let's talk about this talk in particular, yeah. which she was giving in Ottawa. It was in this really beautiful church. And what was so interesting about it is – Um, It was almost like this circle shape to it. Mm. So you really could see a lot of people in the balcony. And it almost like felt like that too felt more intimate. Like we were were all kind of gathering around a campfire, even though it was hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. But I would love 
to hear from you. What was, and this is an awful question because I'm sure there were so many, yeah. but what was your biggest takeaway? Okay, before that. From, yeah. Before I tell you that, one thing that I do think is really fascinating. So the the talk itself, its structure was Liz just telling us stories um, mm-hmm. that kind of related to this bigger idea. And so our talk, and it's different in different locations, our, our talk was about this idea that what would truly be revolutionary for women would be to be relaxed. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like we talk about revolutionary women as badass, as boundary pushing, as fierce, as loving, as like all these different things. Passionate. Passionate. Melissa's point is women have always, always been those things. Um, And so what a revolutionary thing needs to be different and what would be different would be for women to be relaxed. And then she kind of went into what has to happen for mm-hmm. for women to be relaxed. And she said, you know, she she said that I knew I had to do the relaxed woman in Ottawa. And I found this so fascinating because having lived in some different cities and different provinces, there is something particularly high strung about Ottawa. I don't know if it's because we're close to the parliament buildings, but but I find that there are I find that like there is an energy in Ottawa of like, you know, like keeping everything at a certain level and like um, like having career goals and like meeting them and like just these very. It's like a rule following. Yes, we love a rule. We love a form, Um, you know, (laughs) like we love we love slow procedural change. Uh, And so to tell a city of, you know, administrators and um rule followers hey you actually have to relax felt huge and so when she was like yeah i felt called to do the relaxed woman i was like oh baby you were right well and do you know what was so interesting too mm-hmm. is and so you were sharing like the structure she did a talk and there was a q a after i and i'm sure you'll appreciate this because it's I mean, you obviously know, like, so much of my work in the last few years has been kind of in this relaxation space, having taught yoga for, it's almost 13 years now, but then really focusing on restorative yoga and the power of rest. And what was so interesting to me was the number of questions that were kind of like genuine curiosity about like, Liz, what does relaxation feel like? Tell me, you know, these genuine questions that were coming up that were really kind of almost trying to like nail down, like, what is this thing you call relaxed? And how is that? One of my favorite questions was actually somebody who asked, what's the difference between being relaxed and being lazy? And I don't know if you remember this, but yeah, but what she said is like, relaxed is being in the flow versus lazy is carried away by it. Yeah. And it's so true, right? And this is something, especially when I was um, doing a lot of workshops and when I had the program Radical Rest Rhythms, like it was a really frequent thing. Like I feel like oftentimes we think that TV or reading a book is being relaxed, but that's not really it. Like, it's more like a distraction almost. And so it was just really fascinating for me to just see people grappling with this idea of what even is relaxation. Yeah. It it was really interesting to me as well from a therapeutic perspective 
um, where like the buzzword in any mental health thing for the past few years has been mindfulness. And there were moments where I was like, why is she saying relaxed instead of mindful? Because they feel so similar in, in my mind, like you be mindful to relax. Um, and like, you can't be relaxed without being mindful. But it felt like the difference that she was getting at was not just like, because you can be mindful while like working your nine to five job. You can be mindful Absolutely. while, you know, um, taking care of, what did she say? The feed and caring, you know, of her boyfriend when she was in her 20s. You know, you can be mindful doing all these different things, but like an actual dedication to I think what we would describe as like a, getting into a certain state of your nervous system mm -hmm. in which you are able to be more loving, unrushed, able to see things. Um, it was so different to me. And it was actually, I think the revolutionary potential is, you know, like now businesses are getting into mindfulness. And like I work in the social work field and the conversation is always what are you doing to make sure you don't burn out? Here, have this mindfulness app. Have you tried meditation? As opposed to relaxation, it feels like cannot be co-opted by capitalism and business. Mm -hmm. Because it is, at least in my mind, like so antithetical to it. It is so oppositional, especially the way she was setting it up. Well, in this difference don't you think between oftentimes in that context that you bring up of businesses the idea that mindfulness is being used actually with an expectation yeah. an expectation to whether it's to prevent burnout or yeah. to increase productivity or any of these things but that especially if we link back to like creativity you can't have an expectation when you relax no. like those two things don't go together the relaxation is actually the release of expectation which then makes way for possibility and the example i always tell people and always use is like you know how you get your best ideas in the shower yep. or when you're not actively trying to come up with those ideas and it's because we've released the expectation yeah that that relaxation really matters. Yeah. And I mean, I think the other the other part of it that I found so interesting was um I feel like she explained really well that relaxation actually can take quite a bit of work to cultivate. Yes. Um one of the things she said in the Q&A that like imprinted on my heart um was like I wake up every morning mentally ill. And then I spend 2 to 3 hours grounding mm -hmm. myself and doing work to get myself into a place where I can like live my life as I want to. I'm kind of paraphrasing mm -hmm. that part, but it was it was so like deeply moving for me as somebody, you know, who's you know, been given the diagnoses of anxiety and depression to hear somebody who I have so much respect for and I see like living a life that I would consider to be one like free of pain, I don't know. Um, obviously not, but to see to see somebody who I might want to live live like say I wake up every morning mentally ill um, and I work, you know, for two to three hours to get myself to a place where mm -hmm. I can do what I want to do. Um, I was like, dang. It's so powerful, right? Because I think oftentimes 
it's really easy to fall into the trap of like, um, of not feeling up for something and like, and then being like, okay, well, that means it's not happening, whatever it is, you know? And whether it's like going out and doing a social thing, whether it's like some kind of creative exploration, whether it's moving your body or a spiritual practice, but like that difference between the black and white thinking of, oh, I'm not up for it, so it's not happening versus what can I do to support myself Mm -hmm. in ultimately becoming up for it. And that was one of the things that was, I mean – so this talk about relaxation and about boundaries and you said you kind of gave the little hint like she she told us three things yeah. that were going to be necessary for this relaxation revolution mm-hmm. and those three things were priorities boundaries and mysticism yeah and the priorities piece really stood out for me and the thing in particular yeah. that really stood out for me was she was like, you can't have priorities if you care about everything. Yeah. Because if you care about everything, there's no priority. Part of creating a life with priorities is actually saying no to a lot of really great things. Yeah. But so that you can say yes to the the few things that really, really matter. Yeah. And I know that she shared – this really hard hitting kind of like punch in the gut style question, yep. which was, what are you willing to give up to have the life that you are pretending you want? Yeah. And she shared this as a <clears throat> something that was said to her by somebody who she in her 20s was trying to set up as her mentor. And you know, she was in a situation where she was working three jobs and she lived with these roommates and she had this boyfriend and she just didn't have time to write. And so she was just never writing. And and she kept, you know, talking to this woman in her 50s who survived on her art. She was a painter. And, you know, this was a question that this woman asked to her. Um, and I have been, you know interested in getting back into writing and potentially writing a novel and I have had been following some of so Liz Gilbert's view of creativity is creativity as this like spiritual energy that you can connect with and so you know, one of the things that she'll say to creativity like I'm ready for an idea or she'll say like I am here like where are we going today and so a couple months ago, I put it out where I was like, I am ready for my novel. And oh, baby, have they been coming. Uh, just like all these different ideas. And actually, about a month ago, Megan and I actually sat down and like she did some coaching with me around like getting set up to do it. And it was like powerful stuff. And, you know, after when we were getting into our cars at the end, Megs, you said to me, um, Liz had a message for you, you know, referring to this, what are you willing to give up? And I kind of joked and I was like, yeah, it was super rude, <laughs> but but powerful. But, you know, it is it is that it ignites a defensiveness in you around mm-hmm. like, what do you mean pretending? And I was mm-hmm. driving home and I found myself thinking, I was driving home and I was I was kind of upset. 
So I was kind of upset of being called out on it. Um, in that way that you can be upset when you know something's true, but you're just like, I would have liked to come to it mm-hmm. myself. Thank you. Um, or like, <laughs> you know, like whatever, like, I know. But I was driving home and I found myself being so defensive. And I was like, I am working three jobs right now. You know, and I was like, and like, we have a lot of loved ones who have like support needs. And like, like me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, you know, and like, I have my own things. <laughs> like, I'm dealing with migraines. I'm dealing with all this stuff. And I was listing all of these reasons why I hadn't been writing and why, you know, I hadn't kind of like taken the next steps in, in that coaching. And, I was driving home and I just had that, I just had this moment where I was like, what do I want? Like, is the best case scenario me going to Liz Gilbert or her mentor and being like, these are all of the things that are stopping me from the life that I want? Is my best case scenario them saying, yeah, you're right. Those barriers are too much. You should just not do the thing you want. And I was like, is that what I want for bringing up these reasons? Because it's mm-hmm. it's asking for validation that these things are hard, right? Yes. You know, you want someone to be like, yeah, that's hard. Like, yeah, that's hard stuff. Like, oh, yeah, that's difficult. I get it. You know, like you, you almost want that pass. But I was like, I don't want to pass. I want to do the thing. And so that's something that I've, I've kind of been, been like sitting with. And I know like my own relationship with shame is <laughs> very deep know that for me the answer isn't to like you know cancel one of the contracts I have or walk away from my last three days of the job I'm transitioning out of and be like see ya suckers um and that's not necessarily like what Liz did back in her 20s what she did was she'd been planning to go to the beach for a week with her friends and her her mentor basically told her I don't think you're doing that I think you're staying home and writing and you know, Liz was able to like, like kind of start setting up the life that that she did want to live. And, and it was definitely a calling of like, okay, what would I give up? When is the time to give it up? What are the ways to actually like start like putting that into practice um, that felt, actually felt like it, it gave me power. Yes. Instead of just yes. defensiveness. And my instinct whenever I get like a therapeutic or a spiritual insight is this happens all the time with my therapist where my therapist is like, you should meditate every day. And I'm like, I will meditate for six hours every day. And she's like, this is all or nothing thinking. And like, maybe. maybe not. Um, you know, where she's like, oh, you should build into your day time to talk to your friends. And I'm like, every day for two hours, I will talk to a different friend. My therapist is, we want to go like all yes, out. Yes, yes. It's like 100% yeah. or it's 0%. Instead of just like, I'm going to write for 15 minutes a day. Yeah. Or even like, you know, like that, that step, it actually, it doesn't feel like I'm there yet. You know, it. Yeah. But I was like, well, what would feel like you're moving towards that? You know, and it's like, okay, it is. Like part of the reason that I tr- wanted to transition out of jobs was because it exhausted me so much. I had no time to do anything else that I wanted to do. And so like, yeah, like I am, I'm going to transition out of that job and I'm going to start looking at my day with my new job and like find, find that time to write. 
that maybe I genuinely didn't have before. Um, but like honoring that, like I have made choices that will set me up to better be able to do what I want. That idea of taking control that you spoke of, I feel like is so powerful. And um, on the acknowledgement of like things are hard, one of the other moments that really, really hit me was in the Q&A, there was somebody who asked this beautiful question and I will do an awful job paraphrasing mm-hmm. it. But basically around this idea of like boundaries and they said, you know, what happens when you have the novel written, but it's sitting in your closet yeah. because if you share it, it will upset your family or your culture or your religion. And in the way that um, Liz answered that question, it was such a affirmation yep. that like, yes, there are a lot of hard choices in this world and there's not right or wrong choices. It's just like, what are the priorities for you? And sometimes being an artist means, and being a human and staying true to yourself and staying true to your heart means you upset people. And I also heard her say that it's also okay if you want to prioritize yeah. your family or culture or religion. For me, it was like a, yes, these are hard questions. Like this question around like prioritization or this question around boundaries. Yeah. They're not easy questions. Yeah. But they're questions that we want to sit with rather than just like kind of waiting for them to resolve themselves. Yeah. But there's this element of us stepping into our control mm. to decide what it is that we want. And I, I feel like a lot of the times can be really easy to just kind of like wait and see what happens rather than taking that control. And I mean, I found that question so important because um, like Liz Gilbert is a white woman. Woman, We are two white women. And um, like, I think it is very different. And, and, and the question mm-hmm. asker in this case was not a white woman. And it was really interesting, her question specifically about like, what about when you actually have family ties and that's very important to your culture and, and you're maybe not, not it's not as easy to just set those set those boundaries um and i i thought it was it was a really important moment because i think like a fair criticism of elizabeth gilbert would be like yeah it's pretty easy to make time in your day when you have had a uh best-selling novel that you know Julia Roberts played you and you're probably still getting residuals right like like when when that financial security is there or I know that like with whiteness especially in our area of the world like family ties aren't as important in some other as in some other cultures or ethnicities and and for Liz to talk about the cost of obedience and she I wrote I wrote it down she talked about I think it was Mario Martinez, who's done a lot of research about people who've lived well into their hundreds. And all of these people had basically disobeyed, like, their families or their cultures or their religions um, and had lived these long and fulfilling lives. But Liz was, was just talking about the way that, like, obedience 
it literally takes our life force. Um, and so and can have a health cost. Can have a health cost, and so like, yes, it may it may cost you family, or it may cost you cost you cultural relations, or like religious communities. Um, but you you might be worth it. Your art might be worth it. Living the life you want might be worth it, and that's a personal choice. Um, but it was just it was really interesting for somebody to. Yeah, just the phrase like obedience, like costs you. Mm-hmm. Well, and it almost it like those three things that she shared when it comes to relaxation in terms of priorities, boundaries, and mysticism. That order feels so intentional. Yeah, it's kind of hard to have boundaries, and it and then it's hard to live your most spiritual and creative life if you don't know what your priorities are. Yeah. And if – so there is this like – almost like this invitation to get really clear on what are your values and what does that look like. And it almost makes me wonder because I know so many people tell me mm-hmm. that they struggle with boundaries. Yeah. It's one of like the, the most common things that I hear. And I wonder if part of the reason that we struggle with boundaries is because – we're struggling with the prioritization and the values. And in a way, maybe that goes back to like this idea of like, um, I mean, she specifically talked about women, but I don't know that it just applies to women, but that we're taught it's good to care. Yes. It's good to care about everything and everyone. And it's good to care. And one of the things she said is one of the three most powerful words you can learn to say are, I don't care. And it doesn't mean that you don't have love and respect for other people or for other ideas or for projects, but that like at the end of the day, she was saying in her life, one of the things that has been most impactful is learning to say, I don't care and to draw boundaries around like the things that do really matter to her. I found it transitioning to boundaries. I found it so interesting as a person who I'm like pretty good at setting a boundary if my boundary gets crossed then like Matt I'm like well now I resent you uh you know which is why you want to try to set boundaries so you don't resent people so you can be kind and loving um and you can I've heard boundaries described as boundaries are the space that you need so you can love someone else and yourself at the same time oh that's so beautiful that's that's good right um and like there were a couple moments where Liz really beautifully explained her boundary and then reasserted her boundary and then very firmly asserted her boundary. Like while she was giving the talk, yeah. like she embodied her boundaries. It was wildly powerful. I, I think – do you want to talk about the Q&A boundary? You go okay. for it. So before the Q&A started – and there is something that happens when you attend a talk like this – with somebody like Liz Gilbert, who so many people see as like a guru or like a role model or whatever, where or just someone who's had a really big impact on their life, somebody whose novels you love or like whatever, and and I'm sure or was the reason you divorced or was your husband you or wife? Yeah, absolutely. The reason you tried dating your best friend, who knows? Um, and before it started, Liz was like, "Okay, I'm going to let you behind the curtain." Whenever I do the boundary talk, 
somebody pushes my boundary. <laughs> somebody pushes my boundaries during the Q&A. And she was like, here is my boundary. When you come up, you just ask a question. Let's be clear. A question ends with a question mark. It is a sentence where you do an inflection at the end. You know, <laughs> she, she, she was explaining this and she was like, you don't need to ramble. You don't need to tell me how much I mean to you. The fact that you're here, I know, I know that I mean something to you. She even talked about a psychologist friend who she described this phenomenon to. And he said that um, people often push boundaries if they want to feel special. They want to, like, mm. know that they're loved. And she was like, you are all special to me and I love you all. And I immediately felt so safe because well, there are, yeah, when I've been to talks like this, somebody gets up there and it is like a five-minute like dialogue you know and Liz was like it's not because I don't want to Liz was like it's not because I don't want to hear it it's for the rest of the audience you know and and when she said that out I was like oh we're gonna have a great Q&A yes yeah and I loved it when she was like it's for all like look around it's for all of these people let's be respectful of them like I felt so seen I felt so seen it was beautiful it lasted for about two questions uh, and then the third person got up and they had something in their hands. And I was like, oh, baby. You know, and so the person started to say that, that big magic meant so much to them. And they started to write. They actually wrote a book during COVID because of Liz. And, and they, they, named, they named the book. And, and Liz actually said, like, I'm just going to stop you right there. Do you have a question? And the person said, yes, that's coming next. And Liz said, start with it. And it was just this way that I was genuinely in awe of seeing somebody actually stop what the boundary crossing was and reassert their boundary. Mm -hmm. And my first instinct, if I'm being completely honest, was like, whoa, that was harsh. That was rude. That was not aggressive, but like, whoa, you know, because it felt abrupt it felt abrupt like as a woman it felt like i have been conditioned to take care of other people's emotions and not to interrupt and to validate and all of those things. absolutely and for liz to interrupt and so the person asked a question and in my opinion the question basically I think they came up with a question afterwards. What they wanted was to be like, I, I wrote this book. So they, they asked the question, Liz answered it. And then the person started to walk up to the stage to give Liz the book. And I was like, oh, boundaries. At which point Liz kind of went, said like, thank you. And walked across the stage because there were mics in all different places. And the person just like left the book on the stage um, and stuff. And it was a moment that, that felt tense in my body because I was like, what is going to happen? I think a part of me was like, there's an unmet emotional need from this person. And like, how does that, how does that feel? But also just like overwhelming gratitude for Liz to show me a different way to live. Yeah. And can we talk about that for a second? Because like, it did feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, I think like, I, I imagine most people in the room felt uncomfortable when she reasserted that boundary. And that was the gut instinct yeah. because of the way that we've been conditioned. Yeah. But I totally, like, like I was also just kind of in awe 
of exactly like you said, because it's one thing to set a boundary. It's another thing to hold someone accountable to that boundary that has been set and when it's been crossed. And the thing that was so interesting to me (laughs) to think about is just – I think sometimes, especially when they're these people, like you said, who've had a big transformative effect on a lot of people, because we've developed this intimate relationship while we're like reading or listening to podcasts or or anything like that, we feel so close to that person. You know, like we know her innermost thoughts. And there can sometimes, I think, with that come this like this like desire it's kind of like when you go to a concert i always think this is so funny when you go to a concert and everyone reaches out their hands to be touched by whoever's singing there's like something about that that always is so interesting to me and it's like as an audience sometimes we want so much from whoever we are seeing and we 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 have this sense in some ways almost of like entitlement yeah and i was just reflecting on like how many people have tried to give her their books yeah. in her life? And as much as like it it was very brave and courageous for this woman to want to do this, like at the same time, if I'm thinking about her perspective, like I imagine thousands of people have tried to give her manuscripts and that's not her job. Like it's it's not her job and – her setting this boundary was so beautiful and empowering. Mm -hmm. There is this story about Robin Williams um, that I I read once. And it was somebody talking about, um, you know, he was doing a movie in their city and he loves comic books. And so they worked in a comic book store and he would come all the time and and they ran – you know, into him, like, they were off their shift, but he came in and he kind of, like, automatically, like, like, the the person interacting with Robin Williams automatically went into, like, work mode and was, even though they were off, and then they kind of joked and they were like, oh, sorry, it's, like, hard, hard to get out of work mode or it's, like, hard to always be on. And Robin Williams said something along the lines of, like, I'm on every moment of every single day. The mm-hmm. idea of who Robin Williams was to people as this generous, hilarious person was something that he that he never broke from, um, mm-hmm. despite being like a deeply depressed man. And to watch, you know, and Robin Williams, part of why he was so generous was because he gave people what they wanted from him. You know, mm-hmm. which was to be the genie or to, like, do whatever role or to make jokes or, like, whatever. And so to watch Elizabeth Gilbert know what a person wanted from her and protect her energy around it was so gorgeous. Like, I genuinely think it's a moment that I will think about forever. Especially mm-hmm. because, like, Liz had... When she was talking about boundaries, she was talking about boundaries as sacred. And she quoted Joseph Campbell as saying, how do how do humans make something sacred? And he said, it's quite easy. You draw a circle and everything inside that circle is sacred. And you protect it. And Liz said, if you don't put yourself in that center of that circle, 
mm-hmm. then like, how are you going to have boundaries? How are you going to have priorities? You know? And it was just a moment where I was like, oh, that's Liz's circle. Yes, exactly. This yeah. is what Liz needs to like do what Liz does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she drew that circle, is standing, and is enforcing it. And yeah, it, and that in itself, even though the first instinct is like, ooh, harsh, but then you're like, wow, that is really generous. And so I was listening to this podcast where Liz was talking that something that she learned from her her partner who's passed away, Rhea, was um, that the truth is always a kindness. So mm-hmm. the truth, even if it is unkind, is a kindness. And not telling the truth, even if it is kind, is actually an un- unkindness. And in the podcast, Liz was talking about that, um, you know, like not knowing when Rhea would die and feeling like it was close to the end and then telling, having to tell Rhea that she'd done something that upset her, mm-hmm. right? Where I think the instinct would be like, yo, you're about to die. Like, we don't, we don't need to clear the air, you know? And instead, Liz took a moment to be like, that hurt me. Um, and just like, as much as women are taught to care, they're also taught to self-sacrifice. Yes. And so to refuse to sacrifice yourself because you are putting yourself in the center of that circle to tell the truth, to enforce your boundaries. Because boundaries are an expression of truth. Just like mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Yeah. It was like a paradigm shifting. I think what it did for a lot of people like you and I, but just people in general, was like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. Like, like, like she just did that thing. Oh, that's something I can do too. And that I can choose to prioritize myself and my needs and my boundaries and enforce them as possible. Yeah. It was, it was definitely, I think, like you said, one that will stick in my memory as well. I am curious, as we wrap up our conversation today, I feel like we could go for hours. Is there anything on your heart that you really want to share? On the boundary topic, forget. She said, I don't know if it was around like cell phone use or she used the phrase, can you not do this? It makes me uncomfortable. And I really love to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was like, I wrote that down as like something that like I could use in my life. Where like sometimes asking people not to do things can feel selfish or it can be hard to explain why. And being able to appeal to comfort and not just comfort as like a good You know, like, yes, we should all want to be comfortable, but as something important to me, Mm -hmm. you know, that just to be able to to say to somebody, oh, this makes me feel this way. And I would really love to actually feel this way. I thought was like, because in my experience, people want to do what will make other people feel good. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be accepted. Everyone wants to be valued. 
And I think a lot of conflict can really be like figuring out like, okay, what do I actually need from this person? What real ask can I make of them? And how do I describe it? And just the phrase, this makes me uncomfortable. And I really love being comfortable. It's such a calling in to getting people on board with like helping you create the space you want to be in. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And that's such tangible language. Yeah. I really hope someone listens to this podcast and uses that in their life. I feel like it is such a beautiful little golden nugget to take away. And I'm just so glad we could do this. Like this was, it was, first of all, just like so special and meaningful to me to be able to go to this talk together and soak it all up. And then it feels really nice that we, I we debriefed a teeny bit in the car, but like that we did our debrief here so that other people could soak up some of what it is that we learned. And I'm just so grateful for you in all of the ways, always, 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 but um, really, really, really glad that you could come on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of your wisdom. And I know that this will not be the last time that you'll be on the podcast. So until next time. Thank you for having me. I would really love to hear what you thought of this episode. I know that I will be sitting with this talk for a while. In so many ways, it felt like this masterclass on boundaries, both in the stories and the content of what Elizabeth Gilbert shared, as well as in how she showed up in the space. I'm going to be sharing a little bit more of my reflections in the next podcast episode, specifically about how I have been reestablishing my own priorities, boundaries, and expectations in a season of transition in my life. So you can tune in to the next episode to hear more about that. Until then, keep living with heart and wonder.